0: So we are continuing our series teenager and we're making our way through the book of Daniel and we're talking about basically this idea that you have everything you need right now to be the person God wants you to be. You don't have to wait till someday. You don't have to wait till you have it all together. You don't have to have experience or education or all the answers. All you have to do is a willing heart to serve God and to know God, and he will use you right where you're at. And that's what this series is all about. And we're learning that through the life of a guy named Daniel. And Daniel, if you guys remember, was a an Israeli young man or boy, at 12 or 13 years old, that was... Uh, the country was overtaken by the Babylonians, and then Daniel was taken into slavery to Babylon. And there he became first a slave, but very quickly was set up to be really in the palace to work as a, uh, kind of like for lack of a better term, they call him like a, like a sorcerer or something like that. Basically, is to just help the king out. And the king's problem most of the time is he has weird dreams and he doesn't know what to do with them. And so he like wakes up. That's pretty much like King Nebuchadnezzar's life. He like wakes up with a weird dream and he's like, I don't know what to do with this. And Daniel's like, don't worry, like my God has the answer. Let me tell you about your dream. And so that's basically Daniel's role. But in the middle of a difficult environment, a setting that was unfamiliar to him, a situation he didn't want to be in, God used him right where he was at to bring God glory and to transform a nation. And that's what we're learning now. Daniel made a decision as a teenager, He he made it when he was young. We're told in in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, that Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself. That he made this decision as a young man that he was going to be the person that God wanted him to be. He wasn't going to wait for him to have it all together. He was going to walk with God now. Now, that decision he made as a teenager has affected the rest of his life. It impacted his entire future and his destiny. And the reason I say that is because sometimes we think that the decisions we make today don't really matter. Let me tell you that the decisions that you make today, big or small, they set you up and bring into light all that either God wants to do in and through you or keeps you from experiencing the fullness of God's plan for your life. That's a nice ringtone, actually. That's pretty soothing. Um, but uh, so, so the decision you make matters today, for the rest of your life. Now, Daniel, at this point, point in Daniel chapter five, he's an old man. In fact, he's like 80 or so years old. So, like he's he's been around the block a few times. And at this point, 20 years have passed since the last chapter. If you remember, in the last chapter, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. And this time he tells us a dream. It's this big tree. It gets chopped down. He's kind of confused about it. And Daniel comes in. He says, hey, Neb, that tree is you. And you're all big and powerful and great right now. But pretty soon you're going to get cut down. And remember, Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind. He goes from being the king in the palace to all of a sudden he's out in the bushes eating grass and letting his hair and fingernails grow long. And like this dude's crazy. And in a moment, he, he goes from king To crazy person out in the wilderness now 20 years have passed and in those 20 years Nebuchadnezzar is no longer king and there's a new king on the throne and that's sort of where we pick up in Daniel chapter 5 now bear with me I want to read this whole chapter because the story is so interesting and then we'll kind of talk about it does that sound good all the verses will be up on the screen as well so you can follow along It says this, chapter 5, verse 1, Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, um, which had been in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wise concubines, drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared. And wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of wall of the king's palace. And the king saw part of the hand that wrote. So imagine this. They're drinking. They're partying. Everything's crazy. Somebody, as they are getting drunk, they're like, I've got a really good idea. Let's get the, the cups that we stole from the temple in Jerusalem. Because, you know, when you get drunk, you get stupid. That's what happens. So they're like, they're drinking. And they're like, I've got a good idea. Not a good idea. If they think it's a good idea... Not a good idea. So they're like, hey, let's get it. They start drinking it. And then all of a sudden, we're told that a hand appears. i got to imagine it's probably like a pretty sketchy looking hand, right? (laughs) Or maybe it was wearing a glove. I don't know. But there's a hand there. And the hand is floating. And it begins to write on the wall. And they all see this hand in this moment. And then verse 6, the king's countenance changed. And his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. So all of a sudden he sees a floating hand and he's like, oh my gosh. Then... The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, and the king spoke, saying, The wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation, shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known the king's interpretation. Then, Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. Then the king, uh, the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall, and the queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the Lord, um, and in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. And as much as the excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas, I like that phrase, were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called And he will give the interpretation Daniel was brought before the king. The king spoke. He says, I've heard that the spirit of God is in you. And then uh, he offers him the gifts. Jump down to verse 17. Daniel says, let the gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. He said, "O king, the most high God, Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a king. gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, language trembled and feared uh, before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of God and appoints over it whomever he chooses. And he says, but you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all of this. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone. Which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hands and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. He says, then the fingers of the hand were sent from him. And the writing was written and the inscription... That was written, it says, I don't know how to speak Hebrew or whatever language this is, but it says, meany, many tokel, you farsin. And then he says, This is the interpretation of each word, meaning, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Takel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler of the kingdom. Look at this verse. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would speak to us now. Be our teacher. God, to help give us understanding and wisdom about this and help us put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. I've titled this message, The Writing on the Wall. The Writing on the Wall. Now, it's a phrase that actually comes from this story in Daniel chapter 5, but basically that phrase means like, like we know the end result. Like when the writing's on the wall, it's like Everyone can see it. We know how this thing's going to play out. And usually something is coming to like a disastrous end. Like I thought everything was good. I thought it was going great. And then, you know, I wasn't sure. Maybe it wasn't going to happen. And then this event happened. The writing was on the wall and I knew it was over. And we're told that this hand shows up and writes on the wall and this crazy event unfolds. And these events that happened to Belshazzar, I think is a picture of our spiritual journey. The the, the events that happened to Belshazzar here in this chapter are a picture of our spiritual journey. And that's kind of how I want to walk through it. The first thought, if you take notes, you can write this down, is that you should have known better. You should have known better. Now, what he was doing... Was wrong, obviously, and he knew it. That's the thing about this. Belshazzar is in this moment, he's throwing this party. Now, a little bit of context in what's happening. At this moment in history, the Medes and the Persians who are mentioned are conquering the the Empire of Babylon. They up until this point were the superpower they were the reigning champs. Like these were the guys. And all along after the fall of Nebuchadnezzar and all of these things were happening. um, In fact, most people think that Belshazzar was actually the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar and there was another guy. That's why he says you would be third in charge. There was his father that was the king, but his dad was kind of crazy and would leave for long periods of time and leave Belshazzar in charge. But in this time that the kingdom is falling apart, it's crumbling and the Medes and the Persians are, are taking over. And at this very moment, the Persians have surrounded the capital of Babylon where this party was taking place. So imagine this for a second. You're the king. You're in your palace. The enemy is surrounding. They've already conquered most of your land. You're there in the palace, in, the, in sort of the capital, and you're like, I've got a good idea. Instead of preparing to fight, let's throw a party. And they start getting drunk in the palace, and they're having a good time, and they're doing all these things. Meanwhile, the the Medes and the Persians are creeping in ultimately to conquer Babylon. What he's doing is obviously wrong, right? And the crazy thing is he knew it. He knew it, for one, because his conscience told him it was wrong. We're told in verse 6, we read about it, that as soon as the hand appeared, he didn't even know the translation of what the hand wrote. Like, he, for all he knew, it could have said, like, hope you guys have a great party, <laughs> exclamation point. Like, he has no idea what the handwriting says. And yet, as soon as he sees the hand, we're told that he starts shaking. He's like, oh, no. Because, listen, he knew he knew he was doing something wrong. You ever been there and, and you're... Maybe your parent comes into your room and goes, hey, I need to talk to you. And all of a sudden, that feeling goes, you're like, oh, no. And then they go, they go like, they say, did you finish your homework? And you're like, I thought we were going to talk about something else. Like, immediately, your conscience is like, I know what you did. And you're like, please don't talk about that. Please don't talk about that. Please don't. And they're like did you see what happened to your little brother this morning? And you're like, um, no, I, I have no idea. Like, right? And, but immediately your conscience, something inside of you, tells you what you were doing is wrong. And that's what's happening. As soon as the hand shows up, Belshazzar's like, oh, we blew it. Like, we should not have thrown this party. And we probably shouldn't have got the vessels from the temple. Like they're freaking. He's freaking out. He's terrified. And his conscience told him. And I think when it comes to life, when it comes to our own where we're at in life, there are times, even without relationship with God. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't have a relationship with God. There are times where your conscience, something inside of you, will say, eh, that's not okay. That's not cool. You, you know, and there's something he knew it because of his conscience, but he also knew it because of the word of God. Look again at verse 21 and 22. He says, "He says then, he's talking about Nebuchadnezzar, he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like beasts. His dwelling was lo- with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass and oxen. And he says, till he knew that the most high God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over uh, it whomever he chooses. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Listen, although you knew all this, he says, You knew this because God spoke this. God had said long before this moment that although Babylon was the reigning supreme king overlord empire at the time, there was going to be a day and God gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream that says pretty soon a a different nation is going to come over and it's going to overtake you. And Daniel prophesied that a kingdom like the Medes and the Persians would come and overtake it. The word of God said it. And what is he doing? Pretty much this. He's saying, he's saying, I don't want to listen to the word of God. But what happens is when it comes to where we're at, when it comes to sin in our life or mistakes or wherever we're at, our conscience will speak to us. But then the word of God makes it very clear. The Bible says, not to be like a huge downer right away, but the Bible says that we have all sinned. We all fall short of God's glory. And the Bible says that the wages or the currency or the exchange for our sin is death. So we sin and what we get paid in is death. Like you go to work, you clock in. You do your time, you know, you make your latte or whatever you do for work. You make your Chick-fil-A sandwich in Jesus' name. My pleasure. I love you. Thank you for coming in. And then, and then you, get, you clock out and you get, your, you get your paycheck, right? The wages of working at wherever you work is, is your paycheck. He says the wages of sin is death. And the word of God tells us that. Our own conscience tells us that. And so when we we mistake, when we make mistakes, there's times where we we should have known better. But there's more to that. The second point is this. You have been weighed. So he says, first, you should have known better. But this was that God weighed the message written by God or, or the hand of God was that God has numbered you and weighed you. And it isn't enough, basically, is what he's saying. He's saying your time is up and you don't have what is required. Your time is up and you don't have what is required. His life had not amounted to enough to wipe away all of his bad is basically what's happening. He had messed up. He knew it. His conscience told him the word of God told him he had made mistakes, but his life had not done enough to counteract the bad that he had done. He had been weighed. I asked, I I brought a scale, an old school scale. Uh, Hopefully it works, it kind of wasn't working earlier. So if it doesn't go according to plan, don't judge me, okay? I tried. (laughs) So this is like an old school scale, right? Can you guys see it all right? Okay, and basically the goal is to get it. Ideally, if it wasn't like 100 years old, And I didn't get it today, it would balance perfectly, right? And then what you would do in order to 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 pay for things, and sometimes you do this like if you go to a fro yo place, you know what I'm talking about? They weigh it and they they you pay it according to the weight. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like you put all those extra gummy bears and so it's like thirteen dollars and your parents like, what's wrong with you? (laughs) So, so you weigh it, so you put the object that you want to buy in one side, and then you put your money on the other side, and basically you have to make the scale even, and so that you cover what, you, what you're paying for. Now the Bible says, and, and this idea is that you have been weighed and found wanting. And so I thought, uh, to use the illustration the best I can, let's imagine our cell phone, because I think it's a good picture of it, um, is our sin, right? And, and whatever, whatever that sin is, whether it's, whether it's self-image or identity or we're listening or looking or doing things we shouldn't be doing or talking about people behind their back or we're – whatever it is, cell phone's a great picture of sin, I think. Not that all cell phones are sin. You know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so ready? Okay, our life – and we've sinned, and one sin has made us fall short of the glory of God. So our sin—that's our life, right? Now, imagine for a second. Um, imagine for a second that we tried to counteract our sin with good things. All right, I'm going to do my best. Hannah, will you actually come up here real quick? Thanks. Give it up for Hannah, everybody. Yeah. Um, here you can write for me. Let's uh. Let's imagine that every good thing that you did was going to go on this side. So let's say, like, you gave someone, a, gave someone five bucks. Like, you were like, do you know, I'm feeling generous. Like, I'm going to give somebody five bucks. You put that in the good side, right? And then let's say um, you went to church two weeks in a row. Come on, two weeks in a row. That's pretty good. Two weeks in a row, went to church, and you're trying to weigh out, okay, what's another good thing you could do? Um, Teen Challenge. You do t- you, you do Teen Challenge. Come on. So you do 15 months. You graduate like Lewis and Evan. Boom, you're in there. Um, what else? How about you? How about you? You turn your homework in on time. Yeah, you turned your homework in on time. So good. Um, give me one more. One more. You didn't cheat on a test save somebody's life, man, big ones. Let's let's just jump all the rest of them in here. We're we'll just dump them in here. Now the problem is, the problem is the all of our best still doesn't outweigh our bad. No matter no matter how much we've done. Thank you, Hannah. Yeah. I love you. I was at that. Yeah. But all of the good that we do, it still doesn't outweigh our bad. We, we still, the Bible says, still fall short of God's glory. In, in the language that we just read, he says, you have been weighed and found wanting. In other words, you still owe more. All of your good things, all of those nice gestures, all of those encouraging texts, all of those going to church, all of those getting homework in on time, all of those didn't talk back to your parents, all of those I was nice to my little brother, all of those things, no matter how much good you do, doesn't outweigh the bad. And so we're left with a problem. We're left with a problem. You've been weighed and and really you don't weigh enough. But then Jesus does something. Listen to this. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. It's on the screen. He says, And you, being dead in your trespasses and sin, you, you couldn't carry yourself. Uh, the uncircumcision of the flesh. He has made us alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses. Listen to this. Having wiped away... The handwriting of requirement that was against us, that, which was contrary to us, and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. What Jesus has done is he's removed the problem. Jesus came in and, and all of the things that we did that were wrong, that were weighing us down, Jesus came and he took it away. And now all of a sudden, not based upon the goodness that we've done, but because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross has now made a way for us to have right relationship with God. Not what we've done, but the finished work of what he has done. Can I get an amen? So you have been, you should have known, our sin tells us that we've messed up. You have been weighed but Jesus comes in, relationship with Jesus wipes that away. And then, third and final point, you are set apart. You are set apart. I'm going to move this real quick. Can we give it up for our scale, real quick? What a scale. You are set apart. Now, basically, and worship team, you guys can come up here because I'm done. I promise. What, what really got Belshazzar in trouble was when he got drunk, right? Problem number one, got drunk. And then in his drunken state decided to drink from the cups that they got from the temple in Israel. Right? Verse 13. I, I imagine this scene, right? Like at first it seems like a great idea and they're like, hey, um, What about those really cool gold and silver goblets like that your dad used to have? Those were crazy. Like, what if we partied with those? And they're like, yeah, man, let's do it. And so somebody goes and gets them and they start, they start drinking from them. Now, those items, they were set apart unto God. They were told we got them, they got them from the temple. So they had very specific uses in the temple. The reason God had these different bowls and these spoons and these cups and these different things in the temple is because they had very specific uses for the temple. And because they had specific uses, you wouldn't use them to do other things because they were saved for specific things. Maybe you guys have, like, your, your mom has in her house somewhere, like that fine china that you only use. Like, actually, you're like, I don't even know what special occasion we use it for. I've never lived through it. <laughs> like, it's, like, so special of an occasion that, like, I don't even get to see it happen. <laughs> but it's, like, the, it's, it's set apart for something specific. And these items were set apart, and they were making them common and basically they're they're messing with God they're they're, they're laughing at God saying God we're gonna take your set apart goblets and we're gonna honor the God of gold and silver and wood and stone while we drink from your glasses that are set apart and how does it end for them well not so great right Belshazzar dies at the end of the story And the kingdom is toppled. The very next verse, like verse 31, says that Darius, the Mede, not the Babylonian, received the kingdom being about 62 years old. So Belshazzar dies and Darius takes the place. God wants us to honor what he honors. That which is holy is to remain holy. He makes that abundantly clear. But let me ask you something. What do you think is most holy and important to God? Do you think it's a bowl or a wine glass? Do you think God up in heaven is like the most important thing to me is my fine china? (laughs) And I, if anybody breaks my fine china or if anybody uses it other than what it's used for, I'm going to lose it. First Corinthians chapter six says this. It says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Can I tell you what God cares more about than a bowl or a wine glass or a spoon is you? And if God has set apart these kind of random utensils to bring him glory, how much more are you set apart to bring him glory? How much more has God designed you to be a person, a holy special people, a royal nation, a chosen generation, to be different than the people around you, not common, not brought down to some other level that doesn't matter, but set apart unto God to be the person that God wants you to be and glorify him. In everything you do. You're not common. You're not ordinary. You are you are special. You're holy. You're set apart unto God. And your life's mission is to know God and to make Him known. You're set apart. You're not normal. And sometimes what we'll do is whether it's because we got a thousand bad friends around us or because we've intoxicated ourselves with with alcohol or social media or other people's opinions. And we'll surround ourselves with all of these bad things, and then what we'll do is we'll lower our standard, and what God has set apart, we will make common. What God has said, no, this isn't ordinary. Your life isn't ordinary. Your life isn't meaningless. Your life doesn't matter. What we'll take and we'll make it all of a sudden common rather than living the life that God has called us to live. We have opportunity to live set apart. We have opportunity to be different and to use everything that we have. Look, can we pull up that 1 Corinthians verse again, the second part of it? I think it's verse, uh, for you, yeah, you, you were bought at a price. Scripture says that you weren't bought with with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. And he says, therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Listen, which are God's? God has called you. God has created you. God has chosen you. Therefore, he gets to choose who you are. The world doesn't get to choose that. Your situations, your emotions, your feelings, your background doesn't get to choose that. God says you are mine. Therefore, you're holy. Therefore, you're precious. Therefore, I have a plan for your life. You're not meaningless. You're not pointless. God has given you a reason. And because he created you, he gets to define you and he gets to use you. And you need to know you're not common. You're not common. You're set apart. Would you stand with me? And I want you guys to consider that tonight. Maybe, maybe you're at a point where, where you're allowing yourself to become common when you're not. Let me tell you that, that God has given you all that you need to be who he wants you to be.